Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. My name is Mickey. I'm a worship arts coordinator at Baylife Church. And I'm Travis, and I'm the teaching pastor at Baylife Church. And we want to welcome you to the Stone Table. So it's a new year and it's the same us. Yeah. New year, same us, same stone table, (laughs) same everything. But man, (laughs) I am, I'm really, really glad to get 2020 behind us. Yeah. It was, it it was bleak on all fronts. A lot of stuff happened. So we are ready for this new year and granted we're a little late. It's yeah. It's kind like of the middle of January. <laughs> yeah. We, so we took took a couple weeks off, yeah. but we are back in full swing for the Stone Table podcast. And and in that time off, I feel like we had like a... Obligation? A, a, well, we had a quarter life, midlife crisis. Oh, that's not where I thought you were going with that. No. I thought you meant we have kind of an obligation to share this. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, our, we ha- I think we have an obligation to share the crisis we went through. But you're right. We, yeah. we did go through a little bit of a crisis. Yeah. Would you I, like to share the crisis? I or? will. I will. And not necessarily a bad one. No, um, no, no, positive. A very yeah. positive one. Um, we almost got a dog, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> a few weeks ago, we almost bought a dog. Yeah. Um, I never thought I would say I almost bought a dog. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. the thing is, Travis and I had talked about it for a, a little while now. We mm-hmm. had been talking about it for a few months, and then we just uh, decided to actually go visit some dogs and see... Um, if we could find one for our family and we, we actually did, we found a little Corgi that we fell in love with. Yeah. Um, he was like a cat dog. Yes. So I don't know if Augustine, our cat is dog like, Mm -hmm. or if this dog was kind of cat like, -like, Yeah. but we met this, this puppy and we were like, this is a, this is a cat. This is Augustine. Yeah. They're meant to be brothers. It's true. Um, but unfortunately he had kind of a big price tag. Yeah. He, and that was, was really expensive. Yeah. He was dogs not in our budget. <laughs> dogs are so expensive. And we didn't realize this. Yeah. I, um, I can't wrap my mind around that. So, uh, we decided to pass, uh, Augustine is still an only child. Yes. Um, but, but I think it was a really healthy thing for us to talk mm-hmm. about um, the possibility of becoming a cat and dog family. Yep. Yep. So maybe one day you guys, and as soon as, if that ever does happen, we mm-hmm. will notify everyone immediately. We will sure. probably share it on our stone table, Instagram. It's possible. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah, since you guys are on this, on this journey with yeah. us, <laughs> um, we'll update you if that ever changes. It, it would certainly make it easier when we talk to guests and ask, are you a cat or a dog person to be able to play both, like, sides. both sides and be like, well, Oh, you're a dog person. So are we, we have a dog. Yeah. Named Whatever church figure. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, we're cat people too. Yes. Yeah. So speaking, speaking of, of uh, church figures. interviews and church figures, yeah, today <laughs> on uh, this episode, we're joined by Dr. Han Luen, Concert Comline, who is the Associate Professor of Church History and Theology at Western Theological Seminary. She's also an ordained minister um, in the RCA, which is the Reformed Church in America. And in addition to that, she's also the author of a book in the Oxford in the series, the Oxford Studies in Historical Theology, and, and her book is Augustine on the Will: A Theological Assessment. She is so cool. So cool. 
Yeah. She's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So we, we talk about Augustine a little bit, we do. but really we kind of the dive, person, the person. Yeah. Not our cat. Um, <laughs> but w- we really dive into an article she wrote for Christianity today, last year on the church mothers, mm-hmm. uh, Macrina, the older sister of Gregory of Nyssa and Monica, the mother of St. Augustine. And we yes. talk about what we can learn from these influential women and, and these towering figures in the history of the church. And, and we also talk about why it's important to highlight the voices of these women throughout the history of the Christian tradition and to look to their example for what it means to follow Jesus faithfully today. Yes, yes, absolutely. And we were super looking forward to having this conversation with her, and we are so excited to share it with you guys. So um, why don't we get right into it? Yeah, let's get into it. So for Baylife Church, I'm Travis. And I'm Mickey. And this is The Stone Table. Hanluan, thank you so much for joining us today. We have been so excited for this interview for a very long time now. So we are so grateful that you are here and you are just hanging out with us today. Well, thanks, Mickey. I'm thrilled to be here and excited to talk. Yay. Okay. So usually when Travis and I are getting to know some guests, we ask them very important upfront questions. That says a lot about who you are. Deeply spiritual questions. Deeply spiritual questions. So this okay. is the, this is it. Yeah. Would you consider yourself a cat or a dog person? <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, definitely a dog person. Okay. So okay. I have a mild allergy to cats. I mm. think they're okay. They're lovely, but I try not to get too close. <laughs> okay. Prefer dogs, definitely. So in in previous episodes of the show, we've we've confessed that we are cat people. Um, we are. However, we almost bought a dog a couple weeks ago. We did. We almost did. On a whim. And then it turned out the financing was kind of a little. Dogs are it, kind of expensive. They're super expensive. We didn't know that because we've never had dogs before. Yeah. Uh. Um, but I will say this kind of as a, as a point of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a cat named Augustine after the church father. And no, I have what? I have heard that he is your favorite theologian, Augustine. <laughs> he is. Wow. Oh, that's terrific. Well, bonus points for that. Okay, yeah. cool. Cool. Yes. So, so there's common ground there, right? We're mostly cat people, but we all agree on Augustine at least. Yes. <laughs> yes. And sometimes when he's being really bad, we call him by his full name, St. Augustine of Hippo, right. of course. Um, but yeah. yeah. He's still a Manichaean. <laughs> he hasn't converted yet. He's not yet. He's a really bad cat. <laughs> he's very cat. bad. So Hanluin, you, you've studied... Uh, and really traveled a lot of different places over the course of your life as we were kind of just uh, looking into your academic background and, and just kind of your story. Um, you've studied in places like Heidelberg, Germany. Uh, you, you lived in China for a while teaching English. And so I would love to just know, uh, as somebody who's been kind of all over the world, do you have a favorite place which you've lived or kind of a favorite place that you've spent time? Oh, wow. That is such a great question. You know, okay, this may be a bit of a surprising and strange answer, but um, so I am so grateful for all the opportunities that my husband and I have had to explore and do crazy things. I mean, we lived in a dorm in Heidelberg. You mentioned wow, Heidelberg yeah. as a married couple in okay. a single room for a whole year. So that was, you know, sharing a bathroom with the whole floor. And wow. so that was sort of a strange thing to do, I guess. <laughs> But these days, I'm just feeling so grateful for my home in Holland, Michigan. Mm. Um, I just, I really love living here. I'm not from the Midwest. Mm. I'm from New Jersey. So culturally, this is quite different for me. Mm. Um, But 
I'm just so grateful for this town on on beautiful Lake Michigan and my colleagues and friends at the seminary and at our church, Pillow Church. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. Actually. Cool. Okay. Cool. So so can I ask? Um, once COVID is over and you you're free to move about the country, what are the places in Holland, Michigan that that we should visit? Yeah. If we find ourselves there. Oh, ah, uh, yes. Oh, so beautiful Lake Michigan. I, this is something I didn't really appreciate being from New Jersey. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you've got the ocean nearby, but Lake Michigan, like no salt. Ooh, it's just okay. beautiful. There are some gorgeous beaches around here. Um, Sleeping Bear Dunes is nearby. Oh, okay. So it's an incredibly beautiful place. And Holland is famous for tulip time. I mean, mm. folks oh, come like yes. to take pictures of the tulips that are planted all over the town. Man. I, I've seen pictures of that, I think. That is so cool. What? So when is tulip time? Just out of curiosity. I don't know. Early May. Okay. Early May. Okay. okay. Gotcha. So it may have yeah. to be May of, of 2022. Maybe. <laughs> uh, before we can make it there. But man, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Cool. So cool. Interesting. You know, I find that for me too, like the, the many places that Travis and I get to go to at the end of the day, being home is just so nice. And, and, and I don't yeah. know. Being home really is just the happiest place. It's true. Yeah. So. You get like a week into a vacation and you're kind of ready to be back Yeah, in, yeah. in your house. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think that that's super crazy. I'm, I'm with you. So you are a professor of church history, and we cannot wait to get into the topic of the church mothers, which is how we found you. Uh, You wrote a Christianity Today article about uh, the church mothers and uh, their spiritual disciplines. And so we're going to get into that in just a second. But first, we'd really love to hear about your journey into loving and studying church history. So how did you first start kind of developing this passion for the topic of church history? Oh, yeah. Um, Let's see. Well, for me, it was a gradual process. I kind of first got into theology, Mm -hmm. um, just asking the big questions about God in my undergraduate work at Wheaton College. Mm. Um, I'd kind of thought like, oh, I want to go to to a secular school where I'll be, you know, dialoguing with people Mm -hmm. who think differently all the time. But what I didn't realize was that it was um, so needed and such a blessing for me to just be surrounded by an environment of Christian nurture where mm-hmm. I could explore questions um, that are debated among Christians and different perspectives that are available. So I got really into theology and had some wonderful professors at Wheaton that I loved. Um, and then in seminary, I kind of started at, at getting curious about like where all these ideas we have come from. Like mm. I took um, like going further and further back. I took a course on Calvin and I remember going to the professor after class and being like, so like, who were, who were the main influences on Calvin? Like, where mm-hmm. did he get all of his theology? Yeah. And that, at that point, the professor was like, well, Augustine was really important. Yeah. Hey, and we're <laughs> like, back to Augustine. Oh, yes. <laughs> so kind of like tracing the breadcrumbs back yes. from today and our, what we believe in our churches. And then, um, to the Reformation and then thinking, oh, even beyond that, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the roots mm-hmm. of our Christian faith and theology? Man, that's, that's so good. So, so good. I, I remember, I, I feel like for me, the first time I got really passionate about church history came, and I think I, I've told the story before. We had, we had Chris Hall on the show last year to talk about the church fathers. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned this, I was in college and a professor had told me to, you know, to read the the patristics. And so I didn't know what that was. So I Googled 
patristics, right? <laughs> and uh, the writings of Ignatius of Antioch were like 99 cents on Kindle. And so I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. I had no context. I like, I didn't know that there, you know, there's longer and shorter uh, versions of the letters. And I was reading it on the treadmill at the gym. And I actually started crying reading the letter to the Ephesians yep. at the gym, <laughs> which probably freaked out everybody at the local Y. <laughs> um, but I was like, Oh my, like, this is, this is it, kind of your experience of seeing the breadcrumbs of where these ideas come from. I was like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm a step away from the apostles because I am and right. I'm seeing the the faith as it's traced through history. And so that I think ignited kind of a, a really deep passion for me. And, and mm-hmm. even as we've dated and gotten married, I've had so many conversations about these figures in the early church. Um, and one of the things that I loved was reading through your article and seeing how you highlighted some of the, the church mothers, these mm-hmm. uh, mighty women of the faith who have, have contributed to the, the work of the spirit over the course of Christian history. Um, and I know for a lot of people, if, if they listen to the conversation we had with Chris Hall, they're familiar with the term church fathers, but maybe they haven't yet heard the term church mothers. So could you unpack, when we when we talk about the church mothers, what, what is it that we're talking about? Who is it that we're referring to here? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, so the term church mothers is not as common in the Christian tradition. Mm. So um, whereas people will often refer to the church fathers. But um, when we use that term today, we're talking about early Christian women. So to get really concrete about dates, you know, up to around the 6th century or so, Mm -hmm. 6th, 7th century. Um, So between the New Testament period and the medieval period Mm -hmm. in that phase in there. And it's, um, I guess it's not, the phrase has a bit of a technical meaning in that it's not necessarily... Like any Christian women, just like the fathers of the church, aren't any early Christian Mm -hmm. men. Mm -hmm. It's folks who have been particularly influential and have inspired subsequent generations of Christians with their wisdom and their faith. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And and you mentioned this, that 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 term church mother is not as common as the church fathers. And uh, I, I taught a church history class here at the church. I started doing it probably six years ago. And the, the first time I taught it, I basically just copied everything Bruce Shelley said in church history in plain language. And and at the end of that, I realized like... There's I, nothing about... Yeah, there's women. there's hardly anything about the, the church mothers. I, I don't even know if I stumbled across that term. Um, mm. and, and, and I think that that's... I mean, that's a gap in our understanding of the history of the faith. You know, yeah. I think of... John Paul II's Theology of the Body, where he talks about bearing the image of God as a, is a joint responsibility between men and women. It's something we do together. Mm-hmm. Um, so from your perspective as, as a historian, what do we lose when we fail to highlight the, the important uh, contribution of the church mothers as we tell the story of Christianity? Yeah, that's a great point. And I, and I will say, in defense of people who don't often talk about mothers of the church, that it's it's not really a level playing field in terms of the historical evidence at our disposal. And mm. that's one thing that makes it so hard to access these stories. But I think you're right that it's absolutely worth doing and really important. Um, I think it's really important for women today to hear about these examples and models in the faith who have gone before them. I think that mm. can be really empowering and encouraging. And I also think um, it's it's good for men, too, in the yeah. church. I think that a lot of what we see, actually, in the early church is 
men and women working together and mm. how um, either one, neither neither men nor women, women would have been able to do what they did mm. without support from the people of the opposite sex who are important in their lives. Right. So I think we see a beautiful picture of Christian community and collaboration mm. between men and women when we look at the early church. Mm. And that's important for us today. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So I would like to just kind of start getting into some of these mothers of the church, yeah, um, since you uh, really unpacked a lot of information about uh, specifically Monica, the mother of Augustine, and Macrina, the sister of Gregory of Nyssa. Am I saying her name right, Macrina? Typically, or? we say Macrina. Macrina. But okay. Anglicization, anyway. That, so. Yeah, that's how I. It, it's one of the things where we we've read about her, but we haven't heard anything about her. So I've never heard anyone actually say her name. I've just read, <laughs> read it, it off yeah. paper. Right. So I'm like, I wonder how, if we're saying it right. Yeah. I well, thought initially Macrina, yeah. but Travis kept saying Macrina, so I was like. He's well, probably right. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> you shouldn't have defaulted to me because this was a word I've only ever read out loud in my mind. Uh, like I've never said it out loud. Uh, so, so yeah, in your article, you uh, go in depth about these two figures. And so I would love for you to just kind of uh, explain to our listeners who they were, a little bit of their story. Um, why don't we start with Macrina? Mm -hmm, yeah. So she was the older sister of Gregory of Nyssa. And for someone who maybe isn't familiar with these names, um, can you help us get a sense of who she was and how she's been influential in the faith? Sure, yeah. So um, Macrina was part of an amazing family. It's really yeah. incredible to think about all these siblings. Mm -hmm. So um, they there were a number of children in the family, but the two probably most famous are her brothers, Basil and Gregory of Nyssa, whom you mentioned. Um, and, and those two have been known as the Cappadocian fathers. And they are hugely important, these mm. fourth century thinkers, because they helped to hammer out our language about the, the Trinity, um, our affirmation that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This seems so basic to us today, right. but yeah. um, they were really in the thick of it, trying to work things out based on the biblical testimony. How mm. do we talk about God and God's threeness and God's oneness. And Macrina was an older sister to these two who mm. was also a kind of spiritual mentor and mm. invested them, sometimes chastised them when they got <laughs> a little cocky and proud. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, she was, she was part of this incredible theological family. Yeah. Uh, one of the stories I, I think you told about Macrina in your article for Christianity Today, and we'll link that in the show notes yes. because it's really, really helpful. Um, it, I, I guess, uh, one, it, it, was it Gregory? One of his brothers had died and he went to visit Macrina and she was kind of on her deathbed. Yeah. And he yes. starts to break down and she starts yelling at him. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah. why are you sad? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a little, it can seem a little harsh. Like, yeah, but unbelievable. why are you crying here? Mm -hmm. But, but ultimately the rebuke was grounded in, in the hope Truth. that we have in the resurrection of the body. Yeah, and so right. she starts to rebuke mm -hmm. him for not living in accordance with scripture. And, mm -hmm. and that, that was really one of the things you highlighted in both of these women. But, but with Macrina, how do we see her passion for scripture kind of play out in her life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, one of the great, so we've got two texts that are really important for understanding Macrina. One's an account of her life 
written by Gregory of Nyssa. Mm. So there we see some of like what went into forming the mature Macrina, who's mm-hmm. so impressive. And um, Gregory tells us that as a child, she she learned the scriptures in in her home from her mother. And so that formation in her household growing up was really important for her subsequent ministry. Mm-hmm. And then in another text on the soul and the resurrection, we see like the grown up Macrina yeah. and mm-hmm. all of her theological skills on full display. Yep. And there she, um, it's really beautiful to see how she thinks with this really keen philosophical mind, but she's always uh, drawing on scripture and submissive to scripture and trying to see, okay, how does the Bible shed light on this and mm. direct us in, mm. in these questions we're addressing? Yeah. Awesome. One of the things that I really loved about Macrina and kind of studying her and um, just seeing what she had to say about the world around her, it, she just seemed so grounded in scripture and was so submissive to the authority of scripture that she used that as a canon for just the way that she engaged with the world, right? So you can tell that she wasn't afraid to talk about philosophy. She wasn't afraid to talk about uh, things that were going around in the world, yet she maintained to scripture as her ultimate authority and where truth is. And so I don't know, for me, when I when I read this about Macrina, I thought, what a great picture that this is for us now where we... Are, are you know bombarded with different truths of the world and, and people kind of approaching you with different ideas and thoughts and and I think as Christians we shouldn't retreat from that or be afraid of that but rather have confidence in the word of God that you know has the yeah. ultimate authority and go here's where the real truth is and I'm gonna have this mm-hmm. kind of as my standard exactly. even as I engage these ideas that are kind of out in culture. Yeah. And that's what I loved about Macrina. I thought that she was just so good at, yeah. you know, just being really submissive to the authority of the Bible and how she wasn't afraid of the world or afraid of talking about things that were extra biblical, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. I love how you put that because those things, it's ironic, but they actually go together. Like you might think that someone really fixated on scripture's authority and being submissive to that would mm-hmm. be like, you know, hunkering down. Right. And, not engaging the world, but it's exactly the opposite. They go together because she feels so confident in, in what's true as she reads it in scripture that she's then freed up to be open and to be unafraid and to engage all sorts of ideas. So I think that's a great model for us. I'm so glad you highlight that about her. So as we, as we think through Macrina, I'm I'm wondering, in, in addition to what we've just talked about, are there any like practical uh, maybe practical bits of wisdom that we can glean from her as we think about living the Christian life now, how can we look back and be informed by her witness in the history of the church? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that she's someone who has sort of been in the shadow of her brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though, I mean, among early Christian women, she she is pretty famous. But um, I don't think your your average Christian would know who she is. I don't think right. I knew who she was before I started studying early Christianity. Mm. Um, so she, from a worldly perspective, she's not as successful as her brothers. But yet, I think that um, that wouldn't have really mattered to her based right. on 
on what we know about her. And I think she invested so deeply in those around her and so selflessly. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a huge gift to the church. Um, when we think about not only her immediate influence through what we know of her and her words, which are is indirect through her brother, um, but also through what her brothers did. I mean, yeah, the doctrine of the Trinity, that is so huge. Right. Yeah. I think um, it's just, sometimes it can be hard. We can feel a pull like, Oh, especially in our culture, which is one where hard work and success and ambition and, Mm Um, working your way up the ladder is so valued. I think we can feel a pull like, oh, I should be, I should be promoting myself in this way or, or doing that. And um, that can be really powerful. But, but I think we see in Macrina, wow, God can do amazing things with our self-sacrificial service. We may Mm -hmm. think, um, you know, this, this will never matter. And what I'm doing, these humble acts of service seem so unimportant. But I think God finds a way to take the weak things of the world and make them incredibly amazing beyond what we can ask or imagine. And that's what we see in her life. So we, we've already talked about this, but all of our kind of mutual favorite early church theologian is Augustine. And uh, the, that, that kind of brings us to the, the next church mother you mentioned in your article, which is Augustine's mother, Monica. And she's mm. probably the, one of the most famous women in church history. I, I don't yeah. know. Would you agree with that? Is that an overstatement? Or? Oh, I, think that's, I think that's absolutely right. I think a lot of people know about Monica from Augustine's Confessions. Because, right. I mean, that's read by tons of people, not just by Christians even. So yeah. I think you're right. She's right. probably among the most well-known. If yeah. Not and certainly because Augustine writes so movingly about her in Confessions, uh, you can you can tell from reading Augustine that so much of who he is is shaped by his, his, mom. his mom, Monica. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, these are names that maybe people have heard. Maybe they've heard us talk about our cat named Augustine. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> kind of put, put us in context, if you could. You know, why is Augustine important? And, and what role does his mom play in his life and his journey towards faith? Sure. Okay. So why is Augustine important? I think, um, so Augustine lived in the 4th and 5th centuries. So he's Part of it is he's situated at this really interesting time in church history where Mm -hmm. um, Christianity is just taking off and becoming huge. That happens in the fourth century. And then he's like poised right there to have a formative influence as that's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's sometimes called like the last ancient man and the first medieval man. So Mm -hmm. he's also on the cusp of those two periods. Um, and he just, part of it is just, um, this may sound a little crass, but he, he just wrote a lot yeah. he lived a long time. Mm-hmm. And so three fifty four to four thirty, and he wrote a ton. He, he was, did. um, a, an active Bishop who, a pastor who was preaching every day. And so, um, his sermons are recorded and then he was 
engaged in debates with people. Those are recorded. And then he wrote some amazing books uh, that have just become really classics of of Western literature. Confessions, you've already mentioned, Travis. And also City of God is another classic Mm -hmm. work. Um, And On the Trinity is another huge one. Those are probably his top three. So um, there's a lot of reasons why he's so famous, um, but I think those are some leading ones. And also the fact that he, he was someone who thought in a very wide ranging way. Mm -hmm. So he's important, not only for theology, but also for politics, psychology, um, history of philosophy. So for a lot of different disciplines, he's really important. Yeah. There's a, a tweet I read, <laughs> which is a silly way to start like a conversation about <laughs> uh, church history, but there was a tweet I read where one theologian said, if Augustine hasn't written about it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's a sense in which that's true because Augustine has written about just about everything, everything in everything. some sense or another. <laughs> yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. The quantity. And then I suppose it would be possible for one person just to write a ton, but about a very narrow topic. Right. But I think you're that there's something to that tweet because, yeah, he just covers a <laughs> wide range of topics. Yeah, he really does. So, can you give us a little bit of a background on his mom, Monica, and kind of the role that she played in his life? Because I mean, he wrote about her very consistently and yeah. spoke so highly of her. So, um, I would love to hear uh, what you've got on kind of her background and maybe help us understand a little bit more of who she was. Yeah, yeah, that's I'd love to. Monica is this really fascinating, mysterious figure because we know a little bit about her biography, but pretty much just from what's in Confessions, and we don't have any texts that she wrote. Um, But but what we do know is that she was an incredibly um, committed Christian, Mm -hmm. and and. she went to great lengths to pray for her son and try to raise him in the faith. Mm. And um, initially there were some obstacles and um, she shed a lot of tears over Augustine, Mm -hmm. but she was a big influence on him. And eventually um, he did, as we know, convert to Christianity and um, he credits her as having a big role in that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we, we get some cool anecdotes in Confessions about like her, her mm-hmm. own struggles as a Christian. So she had a bit of a, a drinking problem when she was young that <laughs> okay. she talked about. Um, right. And so so we get some, some little intriguing glimpses of her life at various points right. without having like a thorough biography or anything like that. Yeah. One of the things that I mention when I when I teach people here at the church about Augustine is I try to highlight Monica's role in kind of consistently pointing him back towards the faith that he abandons yeah. in his youth. And mm-hmm. I, I don't really know how Monica functions in sort of the Roman Catholic system of saints, but I feel like she could be the patron saint of wayward children um, <laughs> because she is she's such a model, I think, for parents who's whose yeah. kids have walked away from the faith of their upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's such a good picture of just being steadfast and faithful in the midst mm-hmm. of that season. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious for, for you, as someone who studied Monica, maybe what are, what are some things we can learn from her life and her testimony, and, mm-hmm. and how can we kind of draw that into our own journey in the Christian life? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think, ooh, let me pick a few here. I think one is the power of prayer. Yeah. Um, and she she prayed daily for Augustine and over a long period of time. And I mean, in hindsight, we can we can read about that in a relaxed kind of way, like, oh yeah, don't worry, Monica, it's gonna be fine. But when mm-hmm. we think about how that must have felt right. when she sees this son with so much potential and so many gifts and just kind of at times going really in the wrong direction, how discouraging mm. that must have been. Yeah. Um, yet, and I think this would be the second thing, she persevered even when things looked grim, um, continuing to pray and to have faith that God would, would do something about it. Mm. So I think that when we try to enter imaginatively into her experience, sort of putting aside what we know of what happened with Augustine's story. Mm -hmm. I think that makes her faith um, even more compelling Mm. as an example for us. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and certainly Augustine thinks that her, her testimony is important. You mentioned in your article that he's including her words in uh, one of his writings and she tries to stop him because she doesn't think anyone will read it since, since they aren't interested in uh, her testimony. And he's like, well, they need to, they need to think a little bit differently yeah. about this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, I, I love that line. Cause he's even like, he's kind of like, well, you know, uh, anyone who dismisses this text because a woman is in it is not worth having as a reader. Yeah. I, I, so awesome. Whatever. Fine. <laughs> he's like, he's, he refers to proud and impudent <laughs> men or something like that. Right. It's, yeah. So They're lost, basically. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and, so funny. And and praise God that that Monica's voice has been preserved. Yeah. Um uh, because I think we we desperately need to hear uh kind of her testimony, yeah. especially in our in our day and age. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I think I mean I look at Monica and I think I just think of what a great and incredible example she is of just embodying a godliness, right? And, you know, I'm not a mom yet, but we hope to be parents one day. And I think about, you know, how we're going to raise our children in the faith and, you know, pray for them and pray constantly for them and raise them in this way and disciple them. And I just think of, you know, what, what a godly woman Monica was, you mm-hmm. know, as a mother and as a person and as a follower of Christ. And, and yeah, just what a, what a great example she was of, of persevering in prayer and in hopes for her son. And yeah, yeah. So I just think she's just such a great example. And Macrina is just a great example too, of all that wisdom that God gave her. And she used that to bless the kingdom. And so I, I think it's so important that we do highlight these voices in the history of the church because yeah, they're absolutely. so, so valuable and they are so um, just great examples for us as women to look to and at, for men to also look to as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and how formative they were um, in the history of the church. So I guess one last thing that I want to ask you, Han Luen, is for those of us who want to kind of dive deeper uh, in our understanding of church history and specifically the the history of, of our church mothers, where mm-hmm. would you say is a good place to start? Where are some resources mm-hmm. that we can kind of look to so that we can kind of gain a better understanding of the formation of, of uh, these Absolutely. significant figures? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I would say as far as reading about early Christian women, um, a really great book that came out recently is Christian Women in the Patristic World. It's written by Lynn Coick and Amy Brown Hughes. Okay. Um, 
and it just it it helps to to get a picture of the diverse sorts of things that early Christian women did to contribute to the life of the church. I mean, we have like Helena, mm-hmm. the mother of Constantine, the emperor. We have um, wealthy women who were patrons of Christian theologians and also engaged in biblical study in their own right. We have mm-hmm. martyrs. Mm-hmm. We have yeah. living in the desert. There's like a lot of different kinds of roles that early Christian women had. And this book is a good introduction to that. Mm-hmm. And then I guess I would say if you're someone who wants to, to experience these early Christian women in their own words, mm-hmm. yeah. um, there's not a lot, but what we have is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so my number one recommendation would be a text called The Martyrdom of Perpetua and Felicity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's so special because it's really hard to tell. We, we sort of conjecture. We don't know who edited this text because there's like a little introduction Mm-hmm. And a little conclusion. But then in the middle, we get a first person account of this martyrdom event from Perpetua herself. This is like a super, super rare thing to have. Yeah. In not even just in the Christian tradition, but in any tradition, a first person text by a woman yeah. from this early period. This is like um, she died in around two of three, so uh, very early. And that text is is short. It's not too long, and it's just really an amazing read. Mm. Cool. So definitely be my recommendation. That's awesome. We'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah. Gosh. Well, Hanlon, thank you so much for just taking the time to talk with us about uh, the, these incredible figures of, of the church and and highlight the voice of the the great mothers of the faith. Um, so so grateful for your time and just for your scholarship and the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. Thank you for the conversation and the great questions. I I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Stone Table. If you've enjoyed this conversation with our friend Han Luen as much as we have, please be sure to rate and subscribe. Also, we would love to hear from you guys. If you've got any questions or have a topic that you would love to hear discussed on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at our Instagram, The Stone Table Podcast, or you can send us an email at thestonetable at baylife.org. For Baylife Church, I'm Mickey, and this is The Stone Table.